You're listening to Radio Diaries. This is Joe. And I'm excited to tell you about the newest show in the Radiotopia family. It's called The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. I'm sure a lot of you listen to podcasts while cooking. Well, The Recipe is the podcast that will teach you how to be a better cook with tips from two seasoned pros, pun intended. Hosted by Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Walk and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen, The Recipe not only lets you learn new recipes, but also teaches you techniques and secret ingredients that will up your cooking from just okay to restaurant quality. So welcome them to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb right now, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Radio Diaries has support from Indeed. Instead of spending weeks searching for talent, Indeed matches you with quality candidates that fit your job description. Plus, you can connect with candidates faster by scheduling interviews, screening, and messaging them all in one platform. To try it out, listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com diaries. Just go to Indeed.com diaries right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Radio Diaries is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Radiotopia. From PRX. From PRX's Radiotopia, this is Radio Diaries. I'm Joe Richman. This year, as a pandemic project, I pulled out an old suitcase that had not been opened in years. It was full of cassette tapes that I recorded in my 20s, my college radio show, a love song to an old girlfriend, and this one. Hi, it's me again. It was the first recording I ever made on my first ever tape recorder. I was 23 on a solo cross-country road trip. I'm in downtown Memphis, just finished eating a bunch of ribs, having a couple beers, playing a little pool. And what do you know, it's five minutes after midnight I was driving back roads, sleeping in parking lots or camping in the woods, playing a guitar that I bought at a pawn shop, trying to channel Woody Guthrie, and talking to the future me. So anyway, Joe, when you hear this later, let me just uh, set the scene for you here. Hear those birds and the crickets in the background? In the woods someplace, southern Kentucky, with a big sky full of stars. Man, you know, being in the woods alone is scary. <laughs> One thing that I hear in all these tapes is the sound of someone with a new toy who isn't quite sure what to do with it. It's a collection of random, uneventful moments, the things the brain is programmed to forget to make room for new things. But listening 30 years later brings me right back to that chapter of my life. We all know the experience of looking at an old photograph or home videos, but sound waves literally get inside us in a way that images don't. 
To me, an audio recorder is the closest thing to a time machine that we've ever invented. Today on Radio Diaries, we're going back even further than my first audio recorder to the first audio recorder. This episode is a special collaboration with Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett of The World According to Sound. They're going to take us through the history of people recording strange, random, and beautiful things for the future us. First stop, the story of a man at the turn of the century trying to make the best possible live recording he could, the grandfather of bootlegging, Lionel Mapleson. Here's Sam with the story. It's 1902, a damp March day in New York City. Inside the Metropolitan Opera House, Act Three of the Valkyries is just beginning. The music rings out and then disappears, like all sound does. But this evening is different. The performance will be heard again. That's because there's a man crouched under the stage operating a wooden contraption with a big metal horn on it. That man is the librarian of the Metropolitan Opera, Lionel Mapleson. Mapleson was trying to make the highest quality live recordings of opera. His quest started when he bought that wooden contraption and horn two years earlier. He wrote about the purchase in his diary. Tuesday, March 20th, 1900. Today, my long cherished desire is satisfied. I purchased an Edison home phonograph for $30 people there all spent a merry evening with the beautiful instrument. Not only could the phonograph play music off wax cylinders, it can actually record things too. The very next day, Mapleson got more parts for his machine from the Bettini Phonograph Laboratory. They advertised their product as a machine with a soul. A machine with a soul. That can revive the past and bring back the absent. And bring back the absent. Sound had always been ephemeral, but here was a machine that could do the unthinkable. Music and voices, disembodied voices, would come out of the machine's horn. Moments in time were suddenly fixed and accessible whenever. Thursday, March 22nd. For the present, I neither work properly nor eat nor sleep. I'm a phonograph maniac, always making or buying records. The opera where Mapleson worked was the perfect subject for his mania. He wanted to see if he could capture the beauty of a live performance. But Mapleson was in uncharted territory. He was likely the first person to try and systematically record live performances in the same venue. He had to experiment. He tried attaching different sized recording horns to his machine. At one point, he had one as large as a pony. Mapleson first put the machine right at the front of the stage. Then he moved up to the catwalks. During the performances, he'd be up there, above the audience with his machine, trying to get the clearest sound of the singers and musicians below. Back when they were first made, Mapleson's recordings sounded much cleaner, but they're now 120 years old. There's been a lot of wear and tear, which accounts for much of the scratchiness and roughness that you hear. 
Over the course of three years, Mapleson made as many as 200 recordings at the Opera House. He collected famous singers of the era, like Georg Anthes, Lucien Breval, Jean de Resque, and Johanna Gadsky, who's in this recording. Some of his recordings would be the only surviving audio of these singers. Mapleson wasn't alone. People around the country were beginning to buy phonographs and recording everything from their barking dogs and family gatherings to folk music, gospel, and vaudeville acts. Companies got involved and record labels grew. By 1923, over 400,000 commercial records would be made and sold in America. Thanks to Mapleson, we can listen to opera singers and performances from the turn of the century. But in his recordings, we can hear more than that. We can hear the way people tinkered and experimented with this new medium. And for early recordists like Mapleson, it wasn't about money or some professional obligation, but just about trying to capture the beauty of a sound before it disappeared forever. The reason we came to know about this whole Mapleson story is that there's some big news in the world of old sounds. Because of a new law, the Music Modernization Act, all commercial recordings released before 1923 are going to enter the public domain on January 1st, 2022. That's tens of thousands of recordings. In anticipation, archivists around the country have been digitizing and uploading this commercial audio, along with lots of eccentric and amateur recordings, making it all more accessible and available to the public. It's their big moment to showcase all this wonderful material they've been preserving for all these years. This moment inspired Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett to make a live listening event to celebrate and bring these old sounds to life. And we asked them if they would produce a version for us. This isn't a typical radio story. It's kind of like a sonic tour. And the world according to sound takes their audio pretty seriously, for their live shows they even mail you an eye mask to wear while listening. More on how you can get your own eye mask at the end of our show. So stop washing the dishes or whatever else you're doing. Get comfortable. We recommend listening with headphones. This is a story told in three parts from the 1850s all the way to 1923. Here's Chris starting the show like they always do with a little flourish from a giant pipe organ. Thank you. 
Part 1. First Sounds. Or the origins of recording technology. Experiments from 1850 to 1890. 1853 or 1854. One of the first recordings ever made. Notes played on a guitar. Edouard Leon Scott used his invention, the he then recorded a human voice. Eighteen fifty seven, a reading of the Lord's Prayer. Cornet solo from the same year. Eighteen sixty, the first recording that's recognizable as a human voice, a man singing. Eau Claire de Lune. 1877. Thomas Edison used his new invention, the phonograph, to record sounds on spinning cylinders of tinfoil. He recited, Mary had a little lamb. Eighteen seventy eight, one of the first field recordings ever made. It's an elevated train in New York, recorded from forty feet away. Eighteen eighty five, Alexander Graham Bell makes a recording on wax. He lists a series of numbers, then says, This record has been made by Alexander Graham Bell. June 29th, 1888. A choir of 4,000 sing Handel at the Crystal Palace in London. 1889. Robert Browning records the first poem ever. And he messes up his own lines. He says, 
I am terribly sorry that I can't remember my own verses. I am terribly sorry that I can't remember the own verses. Part 2. Home Recordings Or how people began making amateur recordings once the consumer phonograph became affordable. 1890 to 1911. Hello, all you Oaklanders. Dean has been reading Shakespeare's A Winter's Tale this afternoon. We know what the weather was like in Omaha on January 10th, 1909. For the weather is very cold, and we have some snow. The mercury has been below zero all day, as for several days the past week. Lester spent Friday, Saturday, and today in Omaha. We know sometime between 1890 and 1900, there lived a professor named Slocum, who was not very good at the tin whistle, but enjoyed playing Adeste Fidelis. And we know that this gentleman who went to the Gothic Hotel in New York on January 22nd, 1911, had a very pleasant stay. People recorded themselves calling their dogs. playing a kazoo, and describing their family life. Ladies and gentlemen, I will now show you what fun it is to take care of children. Someone even dragged a phonograph out to a farm and made one of the earliest surviving recordings of barnyard animals. Based on the number of blank cylinders sold, Archivists estimate that there could have been as many as several hundred thousand of these home recordings. These were fragile, brittle wax cylinders. Most were lost or destroyed. A few survived from that librarian and amateur opera recordist, Lionel Mapleson. Hello, darling. We're in the library, and today is April the 8th, 1909. We've just come for a very windy walk on Brooklyn Bridge. Goodbye. Goodbye. Part 3. Selling Sounds Or how record labels started cashing in on sound, from instructional and how-to records to that most enduring sonic commodity, music. 
1902-1923. The International Morse Alphabet is made up of dots, dashes, and spaces or silences. The following are dots. Morse code training. And these are dashes. 1922, Columbia Records. Dashes are three times the length of dots. The most frequently used letter in the alphabet is the letter E, and this is represented by a single dot. Letter E again, three times. French lesson number two. Que voulez-vous faire ce matin? Que voulez-vous? Language lessons between 1900 and 1910. German lesson number 16. Das habe ich schon getan. Aber es sollte mir lieb sein, wenn Sie mir diese Regeln noch einmal auf Deutsch erklären wollten. Mit Vergnügen. Die Trennung findet einzig und allein in Hauptsätzen statt. Bugle calls number one as used in the Army and Navy of the United States. Played by Mr. Al 1902, Edison Records. Assembly! Number one, stand erect, arms at the sides. At the count of one, close hands and place the fists on the chest. At the count of two, push arms straight above the head. At the count of three, lower arms sidewards, even with the shoulders at arm's length. At the count of four, lower the arms to starting position. Stand straight, arms at sides, ready. Begin. One, up, up, down. One, up, up, down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two. And finally, a 12 part series of home exercise recordings. 1922, Victor Records. More than 400,000 commercial recordings were sold before 1923. After all that experimentation, record labels landed on something that lots of people would buy. Music. Here's Chicago Bound Blues by Bessie Smith, released in 1923. Blue for you. 
There is one final part to this story. We heard the first technical experiments, the amateur home recordings, and finally, sound's most enduring commodity, music. But we wouldn't be able to hear much of this at all if it weren't for the archivists who have saved and preserved this material for years. This is my partner Chris at the New York Public Library. He's visiting the library's collection of recorded sound to meet archivist Jessica Wood. Here we've got books and cylinders, primarily, and magazines. Uh-huh. The library has preserved the work of Lionel Mapleson, among other recordings. Chris is standing right in front of the large, nondescript cabinet that holds over a hundred of Mapleson's invaluable recordings. One of the most uh, precious things in these cabinets are our so-called Mapleson cylinders. And these were- Archivists have found cylinders and records at auctions, garage sales, and stashed away in people's attics. In the 1930s, the New York Public Library acquired the Mapleson records from a private collector. And for decades since, they preserved the fragile wax cylinders from further cracking and degrading. Mapleson saved the sound from disappearing 120 years ago. And now archivists are saving the physical materials that allow us to listen to those sounds, keeping them once again from disappearing. In an archive like the New York Public Library, you are surrounded by all these records and cylinders. And they're just sitting there, totally silent but you know each one contains in it some captured sound, some moment fixed in time. What would it be like to hear each one? That thought gave us an idea, to pull these recordings off shelves, out of the cabinets, from drawers, and to let out the music hidden in each one. So, for the next three minutes, sit back and enjoy the music. Help me, help me. 
This story was created by Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff of The World According to Sound. They're performing a live audio show with many of these same recordings on January 6th. You can find out more details at theworldaccordingtosound.org. And if you get a ticket by the 28th of December, they'll even mail you an eye mask and listening instructions. Radio Diaries is produced by Nellie Gillis, Elisa Scarce, Micah Hazel, and myself. Stephanie Rodriguez does our marketing, and our editors are Deborah George and Ben Shapiro. Special thanks today to the Library of Congress, the University of California Santa Barbara Cylinder Archive, and the New York Public Library. We're part of Radiotopia, a collective of some of the best podcasts on the planet. You can find out more at radiotopia.fm. And for more on Radio Diaries, visit radiodiaries.org. We're supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities and by listeners like you. One more thing before we go. Over the holidays, we invite you to take a few minutes to make a recording of a friend or a family member or even yourself. Someday, you just may appreciate having your very own audio time machine. I'm Joe Richmond of Radio Diaries. Thanks for listening.
Radiotopia. Radiotopia.